0: Hey, this is Dr. Gray, and I want to interrupt this podcast because I am thrilled to announce that my book, The Pre-Med Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview, is hitting bookshelves on June 6th, 2017, and I'm giving away a copy to 50 lucky winners. Also, if you pre-order a copy today from Barnes & Noble and submit your receipt to me, I will give you lifetime access to our 13-part video series on the medical school interview and one-month access to our brand-new amazing mock interview platform starting whenever you want that's almost a hundred dollars worth of our products for pre-ordering the paperback book from barnes and noble text the word pre-order to 44222 again pre-order to 44222 and i'll give you instructions on how to enter the contest and how to submit your receipt this is the pre-made year session number 220 Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. This week, I'm excited to have a guest back on a podcast, not this show, Our guest today was on the Specialty Stories podcast, our first ever Specialty Stories podcast, episode number one, talking about her career as a dermatopathologist. Dr. Heary is joining me on the pre med years to talk about her journey to medical school and why she ended up in a Caribbean medical school and the lessons that she learned from that, but also the journey from a Caribbean medical school into one of the most competitive residencies. And she talks about that journey and lessons learned. So hopefully if you're on this journey to a Caribbean school, you can learn from her mistakes and her experiences so that your experiences will be better. Michelle, welcome to the pre mid years. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: When did you know you wanted to be a doctor?
1: Oh boy. Well, you know, I had had inklings when I was really young. Like we're talking five and six, just because my mom was a nurse practitioner. So she would always take me to work with her. And I'd like sit under her desk and I'd you know, look at her charts and everything. But I have to say I had a, a pretty, pretty bad accident when I was seven years old and I was in the hospital for about half a year and I was in a full body cast for another few months after that and had to learn how to walk again. So I was seven years old and, you know, sitting in the hospital and doing my, I guess it was um, fourth grade, third grade actually. Yeah. From uh, the hospital bed. And uh, I sort of knew, like, well, this is a pretty special experience. I survived the accident, which was amazing. They didn't think I would. And they didn't think I would have my leg after I did survive. And I sort of proved them wrong. And I got a, a really great relationship with my physicians and nurses that, you know, took care of me. And I realized, you know, this is what I want to do. And it's a seven years old, and I think that's pretty crazy. But, you know, in the hospital bed, I said to myself, I was saved sort of for a reason. People didn't think I would make it. And I sort of want to devote my entire life to being a doctor and saving people the way that I was saved. Wow. You know, which is yeah, so it's not too many people have that experience yeah. um to, you know, make them, you know, choose what they want to do in their life. But and I was very lucky. A lot of people think that my, you know, the car accident I was in was, you know, such a horrible experience and it was and it really wasn't actually it was probably one of the best things that happened to me i know it's crazy to think that way but you know so many things happened that were you know so lucky like this happened and that happened such that i was you know i was able to survive and able to have my leg and you know they wrote about me in journals or whatever and i survived and i'm fine and i can walk and Nothing really bad happened to me, but I was able to, one, realize what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, two, figure out what it's like to be a patient. So be on the other side, which a lot of doctors don't get that opportunity. And then three is really, I I realized sort of my strengths and my weaknesses. And it's interesting at such a young age to realize that, you know, you have limitations, you're mortal, you're not an invincible, you know, being. And, you know, being in the hospital bed was pretty easy. Back then, you know, they didn't have like internal fixation. So I was in, you know, in my hospital bed in traction and all this stuff. And it wasn't until after I left the hospital and got out of all of my many, many casts, body cast, leg cast, everything, that I had to learn how to walk again, that I realized how hard it really was. And that if I wanted to, you know, walk, you know, three feet that day, That was going to be something that I had to make myself do. No one was going to do it for me. I had to put the effort in. I had to work really hard. I had to endure if I want to see results. And I think a lot of times, you know, people don't realize that, that the success that they have in life or whatever circumstances they want, you know, to have happen, they have to make happen. A lot of people think they are going to sort of get a handout maybe or they're expecting something or they feel entitled. But, you know, for me, I had all these things, all of these, you know, great learning experiences at such a young age that I really do feel that that accident was the best thing for me. It sort of shaped me into who I am today. So, I don't know. It was pretty, it was pretty uh, exceptional experience. So. It
0: very exceptional experiences as far as the extent of the experience. It seems to be a very common thing that we hear of. Oh, I had a family member that was sick, or oh, I was sick, and so I was exposed to doctors, and that that's what made me want to be a physician. But how do you take that experience and then carry that forward and go? Okay, being a patient was obviously not very fun, but I got to experience what healing is like, and being a physician and and caring for somebody, how do you take that and and go, I want to be a doctor versus I want to be a nurse, which is probably who you were interacting with more, or I want to be a physical therapist, which is who you were interacting with a lot after you got out of the hospital.
1: Right, exactly. I I think that's, you know, that's a, a great question. I have actually, you know, lectured about this very topic on several occasions of, you know, why being a doctor. So, I mean, Yes it's the exposure i had you know tremendous exposure to many different fields and you know nursing you know physician physical therapy everything you know emts paramedics for me and it took by the way several years to really you know sort of try different areas because i wanted to be sure that being a physician was what i really wanted to do i think for me it came down to i felt that my personality was such that I probably wouldn't be particularly happy doing anything other than being the head of the team, so I wanted to be the one making the decisions i wanted I wanted patient care to be sort of you know initiated with me, and you know having experienced many different aspects of medicine, I appreciate all the different you know aspects of the of the medical field, but for me, I knew that you know, being a physician was really the only choice that, you know, I, I would be happy with. Having said that, I also knew that, you know, I don't want to go into something and make and feel that I made a mistake. So I actually did a lot of different aspects of medicine, right? So like you said, you can be a PhD and do research and, and affect people's lives. You know, you can be a nurse and affect people's lives. But I actually, you know, I was an EMT. I worked on the ambulance for several years in college. I did, you know, research in the laboratory. You know, I worked in the hospital. I did so many different things because I wanted to make sure this is exactly what I wanted to do because it's a huge commitment. It's a huge commitment for, you know, many different reasons, you know, money, time, your youth, everything. And so I wanted to make that educated decision. And so I did. I did a lot of different things. And, you know, that's part, we can get into, into this later, but that's, you know, some of the reasons why I ended up going to the Caribbean was because I did so many different things in college, such that maybe I wasn't uh, getting the best grades that I could could have gotten. Yeah. So, but in the end, you know, I got great exposure, right? So, not too many people can say like, "Oh, they were a medic on the ambulance," or they did, you know, did this, I did that, you know, they did novel research and in the, you know, whatever. I wanted to make sure that this is what I wanted to do, and I think that. For people who really want to go into medicine, you have to ask that question. You know, my mother was a nurse practitioner. So I knew, you know, mid-levels was, mid-level levels was mid was always an option. I could be a PA or a nurse practitioner. You know, I have many nurses in, in my family. You know, it's just like, what was going to be the best choice for me? And I feel that people should look into these different avenues to make sure because you have to, you know, weigh the, the risk, not the risk, not the risk, but the cost and the benefits, right? So there's a lot of costs to being a doctor. And I don't have to tell you that, you know, but, you know, to the people listening, maybe they don't necessarily realize that. And you don't know until really you get into it. And then at that point, you might be like, well, I'm stuck.
0: Yeah. And I, it's not I, just I financial it. costs. It's, oh, no. it's the cost yeah. of family and time and everything else you were mentioning as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And unfortunately, when you when you realize that, you're sort of maybe maybe in your third year of med school and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm kind of stuck, right? Yeah. I've heard that so many times and I've even felt that you know, to a certain extent myself and my husband has too. But at that point, you're kind of, well, I'm especially going to the Caribbean where it's maybe a little bit more expensive. You're kind of like, well, this is the bed that I made. Now I'm going to lie in it. This is it, yeah. you know?
0: Did you ever waver as you're going through this process? Be like, well, maybe it's not worth it. My mom has a great life. She's happy. Maybe I'll just be an MP. I
1: didn't waver so much as, you know, different fields, right? So I didn't, I didn't ever think, okay, I'm going to stop, you know, my track becoming a, a doctor. I'm going to do, you know, nurse practitioner. I knew that I wanted to be a doctor. I would probably feel that my whole life, like, what if, you know, what if I had finished? What if I, and I'm sure being a nurse practitioner would have been just, you know, just fine. But I know myself, you know, that I would have always thought, oh, I wonder what it would have been like. So I knew that I was going to be a physician. What I did waver on was my specialty. And we can always get in that if you want. Yeah. But like I had said, I felt that I had been, you know, saved when I was a kid in order to be the same type of physician that had saved me. And I don't know like how crazy that might sound, but to a seven year old it made sense. Yeah. And I sort of stuck with it. And I, I told myself, well, I'm gonna be a trauma surgeon and I'm going to, you know, save people and I'm going to commit my entire life to being a trauma surgeon. I'm not gonna get married and I'm not gonna have kids because <laughs> that's gonna get in the way of being, you know, the best surgeon that I can be. And and at the time I really did feel that way. And Not so much anymore, but, I mean, there is some truth to that. Unfortunately, in this day and age, there still is. So my my wavering really came into, like, what I'm going to go into, but I never really wavered in whether I was going to be a doctor. Um, So you're
0: you're seven years old going through this and much older when you're kind of done with it and rehabbed and and everything else. Mm Mm-hmm. Between that time and starting off your undergrad years, being, quote unquote, pre-med, what mm-hmm. were you doing to continue to reaffirm to you that, that you wanted to be a physician or you just had it in your mind and you just went on your merry way until you got to
1: college? Oh, no. I, I think when I started high school, actually, I every chance I get every summer, I was in interning. They call it interning, you know. Basically, you do volunteer work in the hospital. So I was always in the emergency emergency department. I was actually a candy striper back when they still had the cute little red and white candy (laughs) striping dresses. I got my EMT license as soon as I could. And I was always on, you know, ride-alongs on the ambulance. I was always doing something. And of course, my mom had a lot of physician friends. So I would, you know, go into their offices and here and there like every other week or something and just observe, shadow, help out whenever I could. I was constantly doing something. I was even, you know, learning how to suture. Someone would like pull me aside in the ER and show me how to and you just, I was very, I showed a lot of initiative. I really wanted to, you know, sort of get my hands dirty. And basically by the time I got to, you know, undergrad, it was just, you know, even more of that. Right. So yeah, I just, I just sort of immersed myself. I was in the hospital doing you know little internships that they would have, shadowing doctors. And I would come back every summer and do uh, shadowing with the orthopedic trauma surgeon that actually saved my life and my leg when I was a kid. Wow. So we had a, an amazing relationship. That's yeah, awesome.
0: Talk about, for a second, being interested in trauma surgery. Whether, whether you're a general surgeon, trauma surgeon, or an, an orthopedic trauma surgeon, mm-hmm. you're a female. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get questions or pushback that you were a female wanting to go into what is typically a male-dominated field?
1: You know, I never got pushback until medical school. <laughs> In high school, maybe they thought it was just like cute or something, I have no idea. <laughs> but and the fact that i was you know so close to the surgeon that i was shadowing with that you know he's the his umbrella sort of protected me against any of that sort of stuff because he, he was very you know encouraging of me so i never got that impression usually people were like oh wow that's great you know and of course some some physicians said just don't be a physician they never said don't be a surgeon yeah i think more More oftentimes than not, any physicians that I knew would tell me, don't be a doctor. And I think that's the case. I find a lot of times, I think statistics out there is like nine out of 10 doctors won't, you know, won't promote their field to someone that wants to go into it. So I never had that until medical school where I was actually doing rotations, which is unfortunate. (laughs) So, and that made me sort of rethink, and it did make me rethink. What I was uh, going to go into. What was that pushback
0: like? What were the discussions, or what what was happening?
1: It's it wasn't so much of like someone sitting me down and saying you can't be a surgeon or you shouldn't be a surgeon. It was mostly the overall attitude that I had. Maybe I was just at a place that wasn't as wasn't as friendly. I'm not really sure, but it was pretty even a, a abusive, really, and it's unfortunate because I've. I've talked to a lot of people that love their surgery rotations, I and mean, I, maybe I was just in a, in a, you know, in a bad place to be. But it was just a general, overall very sexist, very sexist atmosphere. And um, even though I had, you know, pretty good talent in the in the OR suite, you know, I'm pretty good with my hands. I just being the only female actually on the team, it was pretty tough. And I just decided like, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this. It's not worth it to me. And, you know, I can do I can do other things and still be, you know, happy. And that's when I sort of uh, went through my crisis year. You know, what am I going to do? Because this, this may not be the right thing for me.
0: OK, let's yeah. let's jump back a little bit in time. And talk about your undergrad years. You, you kind of hinted at it already about doing <laughs> yeah. maybe a little bit too much, which is a, a very, very common problem. Pre-meds just hit undergrad and don't learn how to be a student and they're trying to volunteer and shadow and, and yeah. be part of leadership and doing all of these things. And all of a sudden they end up with yes. some poor grades. Yes. Is that your story?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. And it's sad. I mean, in high school... I think maybe, you know, I didn't, I didn't develop the best study skills. I didn't really study very much. And that's just the way it is. You know, it's possible to be in whatever AP or honors and and not study that much and do pretty well. And then you get to college and you're like, oh my God, I actually have to study and I don't even know how to do that. So I think for me, it was a little bit of that. And the fact that I love getting involved in things. So I love tennis, so I'm going to, you know, play in tennis team. And then I'm going to, you know, I used to be in the student council. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do that as well in undergrad. And then I'm going <laughs> to, you know, go to the hospital and, and shadow and intern and this and this and this. And I'm going to do this club and that club. And I'm going to do research. And
0: Was um, that all with the thinking of this is going to make my application look good?
1: Yes. Not all of it, but a lot of it was just me having these interests. But then, you know, people pull you aside and they're like, oh, and this is going to look great for your application and this and this. and, And you need to have X, Y and Z on your application. And then you get into this sort of spiral where you think you need to do, you know, all of these things for your application. But then it takes you away from studying and your classwork and then you may not be getting the best grades you can. But, you know, it's just it's unfortunate. I wish someone had pulled me aside and say, "Okay, hey, by the way this is what you need to do if you want to go to medical school
0: mm-hmm.
1: and what you're doing right now, all of it is basically wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's start over. <laughs> Let's start over. Yeah. And I think, and of course going to UC Davis, University of California, Davis is yep. pretty competitive. They don't have a lot of grade inflation there. And then I picked a, a major and then I double majored for some ridiculous reason. And then yeah, and, I, and of course, it was in science, hard science, and I'm competing with people who study you know, 24-7. Mm-hmm. So I wish someone could have sat me down and said, look, you need to do X, Y, and Z, because what you're doing is not right.
0: We talk about course correction a lot on this podcast, or I do, about kind of assessing, okay, first year's done, it didn't go so well. What went wrong? How can I do better because I can't be where I'm at now? Did you ever do any... Ass- Sort of assessments like that, or did you just kind of truck along and continue doing the
1: wrong things? <laughs> well, to some extent, I did. My first quarter there, actually, I I think I went on academic probation, so that was at least early on an eye opener, right? So I quit tennis, and I you know I quit a lot of these clubs, and I quit this, and I quit that, and I think it's good that that happened to me. Of course, a lot of damage is done. That first year, you know, so I still didn't quit some things that I probably should have. So I was still, you know, spending a lot of time in the hospital and doing internships and whatnot. And, you know, unfortunately, being a science major for, you know, biology major, you know, you have a lot of tough classes. And if you're not if you're not putting in a ton of time and and for me, if I'm not super interested in something, it's hard for me to put in a lot of time into it then you're not going to do that great. And I've always felt that the road to becoming a doctor is just basically a lot of hoops you jump through. And, you know, a lot of those hoops are the classes you take, right? So do you really need organic chemistry? No, but it's a weed. It's a weed out, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so it's tough to do well in weed out classes unless you, know, you put all of your attention into them. So, you know, that's what happened to me. I would, I trucked along more of like a B average instead of, you know, an A, which is really what you need. And by the time, you know, time comes around to uh, apply and you don't have those, you know, those grades, you're you're not going to get it. You're just not. There's um one of my lectures I give, there's a great slide that gives the importance of, you know, all the different aspects of applying for medical school. And, and the most important thing of course is GPA and your MCAT score and that's it of course after that you have you know letters of rec and you have you know personal statement and then after that you know course load and where you went to school but number one is GPA and MCAT and i really wish someone would have showed me that slide when i first started because in the end you need the numbers otherwise it's just not going to happen it won't happen for you
0: yeah well, I don't know about won't. There's, well, I have a well, lot of stories on this podcast yeah. of people that have done it, but it uh, it might take a little bit longer. It's very hard. I mean, look <laughs> yeah. at me,
1: right? It happened, yep. right? I didn't have the the GPA, or I mean, my MCAT was very average. So, and I'm I'm still a doctor, so it does happen, but it's not going to be easy. Let's yeah. just say that.
0: Yeah. So easy. talk about your pre med advising at UC Davis. You have a B average GPA and average MCAT score. Were your advisors very positive about you applying to medical school?
1: Yeah, I felt that they were a little bit out of touch with reality, to (laughs) tell you the truth. (laughs) So I don't think they really understood. Maybe, I don't know, but they're like, oh, yeah, 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 you know, just apply, do this, do that. You'll be okay. And, you know, that's really not the case. And I stayed ended up staying at UC Davis for, you know, grad school cuz I thought, well, okay, you know, maybe grad school will help me after my first round of applications just didn't go very well.
0: So you applied normal time frame and didn't get exactly. in anywhere. Did you get any interviews at that point?
1: I got I think one interview. Okay. And and yeah, so it was it was a bust. And I retook MCAT and then I went into graduate program okay thinking that that would help yeah and you know I did actually did a lot of teaching while I was at um, a UC Davis I uh, taught a lot of uh, microbiology and anatomy classes while I was a, a grad student and I thought okay that's gonna help me too since I was sort of in the School of Medicine and getting you know great contacts there mm-hmm. and it doesn't it didn't really help it just didn't help I think in retrospect, and, you know, we can talk about it, but instead of doing graduate school, I probably should have done a post-baccalaureate, but, you know, that was the decision that I made back then.
0: What was your grad school? What, like, what did you study?
1: Yeah, I did, um, it was comparative pathology, but a lot of, um, a lot of what, that was like the general header of it, but a lot of what I did was immunology.
0: So not quote-unquote hard sciences.
1: (laughs) It's fairly hard. <laughs> yeah, but no, um yeah. So plus you know, I wanted to stay and, and finish the research that I had been doing as an undergrad. And for uh-huh. me, that's I just wanted to do grad school. But in the end, I probably should have done something else. At the time, a uh, post baccalaureate was it was much easier to get into medical school that route. Yeah. Maybe now it's a little bit harder.
0: How long was the master's program? It was two years. Okay. So at the end of those two years you reapply to US schools?
1: I reapplied in that time frame yep. and got, you know, an interviews here and there, and I really thought it was I was gonna end up staying at Davis and it just didn't end end up happening at the very last moment. And then I was like, Okay, well I am not going to wait another application cycle. Mm-hmm. I'm just not gonna do it. And I had a friend who was in the she was actually a PhD student, and she ended up going to Ross University. And um, I emailed her, and I said, hey, how is it over there? She's like, it's great. And she's like, you should come.
0: <laughs> so, I, Was that I the extent her. of your research?
1: Yeah, that was, well, I mean, I looked into a couple of schools. She had actually gone to St. George's before, and she transferred it over to Ross. And, um, and she's like, yeah, I know it's much better here. And I mean, that was her opinion and i called the school and i applied and i was accepted the next week and then i went all like it really happened literally in the course of like maybe 2 or 3 weeks <laughs> and then i was on a plane wow. to uh, to dominica
0: to paradise
1: yeah yeah basically <laughs> at yeah.
0: at that point what are you thinking so you you're obviously in california hoping you get into uc davis you don't mm-hmm. you're like uh oh. Is this dream ending? And two weeks later, you're in med school in the Caribbean. What, what are you crazy. thinking at that <laughs> point? Are, are you mad that you're at the Caribbean? Are you glad that you're at the Caribbean? What, what was going through your head?
1: Well, it was hard for me. It was hard for me because I thought that I was um, either settling or I wasn't good enough. I, you know, I, was, I was a little bit depressed. I thought, gosh, you know, I've done all this work. I've made all these connections. I was told by X, Y, and Z, you know, a person on the admissions that I would get in, and this, and this, and this, and and how did I get to this place? You know, I I'm supposed to, you know, go to medical school, and this is this is just not is not working out. And so, yeah, I was in I was in a very dark place, and I thought, okay, well, this is it. You know, maybe I'll go to the Caribbean, maybe I'll transfer back into the states. Who knows? Because then that can't happen. I have known people that have done that, and they've they've gone over. You know, in the Caribbean, they've transferred back after a year, or, you know, a few semesters. Mm-hmm. But you know, I got on the plane. I did. It, I, it was it was crazy. I, you know, I, but I flew over there, and I have to say, it was the most amazing feeling. I got off that plane, and, and you're right. It it is paradise. It looked like you know, like Jurassic Park or something. It was <laughs> in Spain. We land the plane, and I walk onto the tarmac, you know, walk down the stairs and I'm on the tarmac and I don't think I've ever had a greater sense of peace (laughs) with my decision. I looked around and I thought, okay, this is where I belong. This is the next chapter in my life. I need to move on. I'm going to be a doctor. This is it. I just need to, you know, buckle down, do, you know, do really well. But here I am. This is the situation I'm in. I'm in medical school let's make it work. And I, I really felt good about the decision at that point. It was so crazy. It just immediately like washed over me like a flood. Did
0: you have any concerns about your future self, future doctor wanting to be a trauma surgeon still at that point, I guess, or whatever you yeah. wanted to be? Did you think, well, this, this may be limiting my career, so I need to be careful?
1: You know, that's, that was always in the back of my mind. But I thought that, well, if you do really well, maybe you can overcome that prejudice that a lot of doctors from you know offshore schools have and then i thought you know never you never know maybe i will transfer out i'll make it work and i thought you know going forward is better than waiting around another cycle to apply and you know at the time i don't know why but i really didn't think about a do school very seriously I felt that the stigma against DO at that time was probably more than offshore schools because I had known a few, you know, doctors who were from offshore schools or they were from international schools. So I thought, you know, I'll do this. I'd rather have an MD than a DO. And I don't really think that that is the right choice now. Yeah. I don't. I don't really see that as, you know, being yeah. a problem. I would but, just
0: to, to add, as we're in the middle of this discussion that a USDO is would at this point be better than an offshore MD.
1: I have to agree with that. I have to agree with that. And only because it's so hard. And you know, we can get into this, but it is (laughs) it was really, really, really hard to come from an offshore school and succeed.
0: Yeah. Well let's let's talk about school. So you're you're there. How so it's no secret that attrition rates at offshore schools are much, much higher than the state schools. How was it for you to go through school those first couple of years, those cl- the, uh, the non-clinical years, and be <clears throat> able to study while you're sitting on the beach or be able to study while your classmates are dropping out and going back home? What was that like for you?
1: Well, I one thing about Ross, and I'm not sure about, you know, the other schools, but Ross, obviously it's a for-profit school and I knew that going into it. So obviously they let it, they let in almost everyone that applies. So I start off my, you know, first day and then there's, you know, 350 students in my class, right? So a typical med school in the States is about hundred. And so all these people were there and the school is taking their money, knowing full well, they're, you know, they don't belong there. And I knew that the first day, I mean, there are people that just should not be there. So going through that semester, you know, they just drop like flies when they realize that, you know, this is <laughs> not right. The sad part are the ones that sort of stick around and and redo semesters that they have failed somehow and the school keeps taking their money. And that's just unfortunate. It's such a waste. But for me, I mean... Luckily, Dominica doesn't have wonderful, beautiful beaches. (laughs) So I wasn't actually really tempted to just, you know, sit on the beach and not do anything. I mean, especially coming from where I did, you know, knowing that I had made mistakes in in undergrad and that I should have really worked harder. I worked really hard. I was always studying. I was always, you know, I was always just there and in class and, and I worked really hard. Yeah, I did do other things there, right? I taught anatomy again as like the head TA there. I helped start a a medical clinic for the native uh, Caribbean Indians that still live there. There are other things that I did. That's just me. But I was—I knew that I still had to be, you know, number one, especially if I wanted to transfer. And the way things are there is that you know they don't spoon feed you. You know, I feel like there are some U.S. med schools where you know, I I saw it at UC Davis. I saw like the med students were just sort of like spoon fed and they were helped at every turn. And at Ross, I don't know about the other ones, offshore schools, but at Ross, man, you really had to have a lot of initiative. Like it's, you need to do it. You need to study. You need to do well. No one's going to help you. And again, that that for me was, you know, that second nature. That's what I was used to growing up, right? If I wanted to take those, you know, those steps, if I wanted to learn how to walk, I need to do it, right? And so at Ross, that's exactly how it was. I taught myself a lot of the subjects. Luckily, you know, I had a really good background in anatomy and physiology and microbiology and all these things. But, you know, for me, it wasn't that hard, but I knew that I had to do really, really, really well. And I did and that's just you know you have to take that initiative. So if you want to go to an offshore school, don't expect the school to really help you a lot. It's in fact it would be better if they don't help you, right? Because if you don't do well then maybe you fail a semester and you pay more money. You know what I mean? It's better for them if you don't do well, yeah, honestly.
0: Unfortunately. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, and that's just the way it is.
0: So you Whereas, you yeah, did well.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: You've talked about transferring to back to the states, right? How did you go about looking into that, and was that successful for you?
1: So, it was something I I did look into, and it was a definite possibility. The only problem—it's not really a problem—but I met my husband. Basically, he was one of my colleagues, so he was a, he was a student in the same class as me, and so. At the time, we were you know, dating, and I didn't want to transfer out without him. And it's really hard to find a program that's going to take two transfers <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. So basically, I was like, okay, well, I'll just make this work. We're going to stay here. So ended up really not pursuing it as much as I thought I would. Okay. Yeah. All
0: right. So you, yeah. you have your, your non-clinical years on the island there, and then clinical years. So one of the, one of the big negatives with yeah. a Caribbean school is clinical years. So a U.S. school, especially MD schools, <coughs> you're associated with a big academic medical center. As a Caribbean student, you're usually traveling around a lot your clinical years. What was that like for you?
1: I have to say, again, it's not usual what we did. So if Ross had put together our clinical rotations. We would have been in in New York and some hospital that probably doesn't have that great of a teaching or we'd end up, you know, all over the place piecemeal. And who knows, who knows if it would have been any good. And I knew that, you know, if I wanted to have any sort of competitive specialty that I have to have, you know, good rotations and in places where I can make connections. So honestly, what I did, not a lot of people will do. I actually cold called a lot of different places and just said, This is who I am I'm a you know third year med student or you know soon to be third year med student and I want to set up rotations and at that time, actually a lot of places were still open to offshore students since then they've sort of closed closed off to Ross students especially, but I actually called and set up probably eighty percent of my rotations and, and my husband's rotations. So they took both of us. So we ended up having, you know, we have connections. His parents were also um, physicians and they did training at Yale. So, and they still had connections back there. So I called and we got probably maybe like seven months worth of, you know, rotations, six, seven months. We did Most of our cores there, core rotations. And then I still had connections at UC Davis. You know, we did pediatrics there. So we went actually to a lot of really, really good institutions and just calling them and saying, This is who we are. Can we do rotations with you? And, you know, it worked out really well. That is not the norm. That is kind of crazy, actually. So I think nowadays that's. The number one thing that I would say is the negative against offshore school, especially Ross, is that their clinical rotations are not the best. And they have so many students, it's hard to place everyone. I had to find my own OBGYN rotation because I think they said the next opening was in like a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be like a resident at that point. So what would you like me to do? You know, so you just find your own. Unfortunately, that's not the case now. So hopefully they have more openings, but that is, that's the number one negative is finding good rotations where they don't kind of use you and abuse you and, and you don't learn a lot. So that's the problem.
0: At some point along the way, you determined that you wanted to go into dermatology, which if you're listening to this and you don't know, it's one of the hardest specialties to match into. What were you thinking when you were like I want to match in dermatology and I'm a Caribbean student? What were you thinking you needed to do at that point?
1: And <laughs> tell you the truth, I didn't even know it was that crazy crazy hard. I thought, well, you know, whatever, we'll figure it out. And for me, I as a, <laughs> you know, it's crazy, right? I'm like, well, if this is what I want, it's going to happen. You know, it's. Uh, I'll make it'll it'll just happen. I'm going to make it happen. For this has since changed. I guess they've changed this rule. But back then, as a foreign med grad, you can pre-match. And so, my husband matched for radiology, which is actually another fairly competitive specialty out out of the, the Caribbean to get right. And so he matched into that, and then we were able to pre-match because uh, we had done our clinical rotations at um at one of the Yale hospitals and we knew them really well and we were foreign med grads so we could match into their internal medicine prelim year. So, you know, I I prematched there and and knew that I had to find something in Massachusetts for residency. And basically it just came down to don't necessarily have to go through the match at that point because you're doing a year already you're internal medicine, so you, if somewhere has like an opening, you can just mat- pre-match into it. You don't have to go through the match, especially as a for a med grad. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they've actually changed that now. I think so. Um, yeah. So back then, it's just different, you know. Yeah. So it just happened that you know I called UMass and applied, and at the interview I said, "I want to go here. I, I want you to match me."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Take me, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Take me, please. My husband ended up going to. um a tough space state hospital, and then, yeah, i called I called University of Massachusetts and ended up going there. it was it's pretty crazy, but um, you just just make it happen. <laughs> it just I don't know, it just sort of fell into it that way. and uh, but it, I mean, it's a lot of hard work, right? There was a lot of long nights in in med school and clinical rotations and getting great letters and putting in the time and effort in your rotations, and in order to get to the position where they would actually look at your application, right?
0: Were you super stressed about board scores?
1: I was. I put in so much time and energy into my step one. I figured step two was, you know, some places wouldn't even see your step two scores, and it was it's an easier test. So I said, okay, I'm going to put in all of my effort to step one score and you know i had like this huge calendar and every day i would do you know x many hours of this subject and i mean it was insane my husband never saw me basically i was studying literally like 18 hours a day and yeah no i did really well but i felt like i had this urgency it's like okay i need to overcome the fact that i went to ross Mm -hmm. which is sad because it's still medical school and I do feel that the instructors there were really good and I had, you know, great learning experience, but there's a stigma and there still is and there probably always will be. So you have to overcome that in some way unless you don't want, you know, ultra competitive specialty and that's, you know, to, to do well in your, in your board scores and there's just no other way around it. That's how my husband matched into radiology. He did really well. In his uh, in, uh, for his step one. Yeah. That's just what you have to do. If you want a competitive residency, that's what you have to do. That's it.
0: Has the fact okay. that both of you are Caribbean grads, has that hindered either of your careers as far as finding jobs and answering those questions?
1: You know, I feel like we've both gotten whatever positions we, were, we wanted to get. The problem is you always have to field this question. So why'd you go to the Caribbean? (laughs) And then you have to go through this little rigmarole, like, well, you know, I blah, blah, blah. I didn't apply to very many schools. I thought I'd get in here, but I didn't. And it was the same for my husband. You know, he was the same sort of thing. Like he just didn't do as well because he was doing all these other things. And then he had also only applied to California schools. And so, you know, we were just stupid, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. We had no idea what we were doing. It really wasn't great pre-med advising, but, you know, we're both in the same situation and we have to, even to this day, answer these same sort of questions and it's ridiculous. I mean, it really is ridiculous. What does it matter? What does it matter? Honestly, where I went to medical school, you know, you might as well ask me where I went to high school. What does it matter? I still am an MD. I did well. I did well on my boards. You know, I'm a good physician and it really shouldn't matter whether I went to Harvard or whether I went to Ross because I do the same job. And so it's really, really frustrating when people sort of throw this attitude at you as if they're better. And that's something you have to deal with. And I'm sure some DOs feel that way too, which is also mm-hmm. ridiculous.
0: Do you think that our residency training, the way that's set up, that it, it should be factored in that U.S students are given higher priority than Caribbean school students or other foreign grads?
1: I mean, I think the best persons for the job should be taken, right? So if I have an applicant who's, you know, really good, but they're from the Caribbean, what does it matter? They're really good. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm biased on this, but I don't think that the U.S. students should get, you know, priority just because they're U.S. students. And it's, you know, maybe people who aren't citizens, that's one thing. So if you have to get a visa and all that stuff, but you know, I'm born and raised in California. Yeah. I went to Ross, big deal. You know what I mean? I still did well. And what does it matter? You know what I mean? I just feel like that's kind of like a, yeah. There there are a lot of,
0: (laughs) there are a lot of things above our pay grade as far as government funding and public institutions and making sure that their students are taken care of. So there's, There's a lot of that that probably gets factored into it as well, which is probably a discussion for another podcast. But you've, (laughs) quote unquote, overcome the Caribbean stigma. You're a practicing dermatopathologist. Your husband's a radiologist, both Caribbean grads. If you were to do it all over again, knowing what you know now, where would you have done something different? What would you have done differently to... I guess, ensure that you went to a a U.S. school?
1: Yeah, well, I think first off, starting back in undergrad, I would have picked a much easier major, much easier. So, and I think even med schools look highly on on that, that you're like more diverse, right? If you're a a literature or English or psychology or something major, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying these are like super, you know, easy majors, but they're much easier than a hard science. That's just the way it is. I would have picked a major that was much, much more doable. And I knew that I would be able to get better grades. And I probably would have not done as many extracurricular activities and maybe only picked a few. I feel like med, med school likes a good story, right? So you need a good story. I had a good story with my, you know, my accident. I think that they appreciated that, but unless you have the numbers, they're not really going to see it. So you have to put your energy into making yourself look good on paper. So just put all your energy into a good GPA, put all your energy into a good MCAT. And if you have a couple of things here and there that really, you know, give you that extracurricular activity and that's great. And then, so I would have definitely done that differently. Still, if I still was not, you know, up to par with getting into a US MD school, I definitely, in retrospect, would have or should have applied to a DO school. In order to stay in the States and and not had that, you know, foreign med grad stigma. It's not to say that DOs don't have that stigma. I, I know quite a few DOs that have also had to shoulder that question of like, why did you go to a DO school? And so they also get that stigma, but not as much. And it's so much easier to be in the States. <laughs> it's just, you know, it, that's just the way it is. So I, I would have done that differently. Or I would have done a post-baccalaureate. I think now it's not as easy. Usually, I mean, back then it was like you did a post back, and then you get into that med school where the post back is. I don't think that's the same case anymore. But I would have done these things differently. I really wish someone would have just sat me down and said, look, this is the secret. Nobody knows. Like, You need to do X, Y, and Z if you want to get in. Because I just feel like I did basically almost everything wrong. But I mean, it was good, right? I met my husband. I had a good experience. I'm much stronger than I used to be. And, And I feel like when I was at the Yale program, they actually took quite a few raw students because they loved the fact that they were so independent and they didn't. You know, they didn't need to be spoon-fed and and they were, you know, had a lot of initiative and they are very hard workers. But, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to be that, you know, on your game all the time. Like that much, it's just tough. And then after all of that hard work to be met with this resistance, every time you apply for a position, you're like, why'd you go there? Why'd you go there? Like, what's wrong with you? Why'd you have to go offshore? It's not good. But, you know, it is what it is, right? So that's that's what I would do if I if I had it all over again be you know be a better student undergrad pick a a major that's easier don't overextend yourself and then look into other programs you know DO if you don't get into US med school uh, MD school so any
0: last would- words of encouragement or advice for the students that has applied several times to US schools MD and DO and and now is is on their way to a Caribbean school?
1: Well, if you've already made that decision and you're, and you're on your way and you're gonna go to, you know, one of the schools, make sure that you've picked, you know, picked wisely. I really feel that there's only two med schools in the Caribbean that are worthy of of you know this sort of commitment. And just know that it's all on you. So you're success or failure is going to depend on you. So you have to really put in that time and energy and you have to be serious about it. And hopefully you've made the right decision to be a doctor and that can be, you know, <laughs> another podcast in itself, right? There's so many reasons to be a physician. And is that going to be enough for you to sustain you through the sleepless nights and the the work and the giving up so many things? And hopefully it is. And um uh, if that's really what you want and you are prepared to go through how hard it is to be in the in the Caribbean for med school just know that you know if you're there that's what you're committing to don't give up it may seem really really tough but you can get through it as long as you know you really put in that energy you really put in that that time but also it's important to keep in mind if you don't feel that it is for you you know if it's not right if it's if it doesn't feel right, if it's too hard, you know don't wait too long to get out because Caribbean schools are expensive, and so you don't want to make a big, very, very expensive mistake and just you know stick with it if it's not the right choice for you. I've seen that a lot, and then you know you're even worse off, so it's kind of like a a fine line, right? so Either stick in it, but if you know that this is not the right thing for you, don't just wait around. Just get out as soon as you can. <laughs> you have to, because that's a lot of money and it's a lot, of, a lot of commitment to stay out there. But if you're worth it, if it's worth it for you and you, that's what you want to do, then don't give up.
0: All right. That again was Dr. Michelle Heary. She was again on the Specialty Stories podcast episode number one talking about being a dermatopathologist We also did an episode about Caribbean medical schools and had a Caribbean medical student on back in episode 51. You can find that at medicalschoolhq.net slash five one. I want to take a second and thank a few people that have left us ratings and reviews. If you would like to do so, you can do it at medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. We have one here from a bunch of numbers and letters that says, restored confidence. I've been listening to this podcast for quite some time, and it truly reawakened a dream that I had to become a physician. Thank you for being so invested in developing premeds and empowering us to go after medical school. Can't thank you enough. Well, you did. Thank you very much for that review. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes if you would like to read one. We have another one here from The Business with like 29s after it that says, warning, high yield to pre-med success tips await. This weekly powwow slash podcast with Dr. Gray has been 100% essential for learning the intricacies about the med school admissions process in the last year. Thank you for that, The Business. We have one more here from Greatness2 that says, too great to relate. I guess that's kind of like too legit to quit, maybe. I'm dating myself now. says, this podcast has been the best medical school advice, all packed on my phone. Yes, it is on your phone. If you're listening to this through a web browser or through Safari on an iPhone or Google Chrome on your Android device, download a podcast-specific app and subscribe to this podcast so that you get it every week for free. Easy as that. I hope you have a great week. I hope you continue to push forward on this journey and I hope you join us next week here at the medical school headquarters and the pre-med years podcast.